Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Sports Fantasy Podcast. I'm Liz Lozan. I am joined by Matt Harmon and Scott Pianowski. Gents, have either of you checked on Dalton Del Don or has he drowned himself in a trough of Chardonnay? I've heard theoretically he's supposed to publish a piece tonight, so I guess that would seemingly say that he is alive, but I can't confirm or deny that. Have you confirmed to Paul Scott? Yeah, I asked about the eight-man tie in his survivor pool a couple hours ago, and he didn't write back, so... Uh, you know, rather than than paying everybody three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks, he's he's obviously ran off to Mexico, or you know, <laughs> he's probably going to try to find chrysalis in Europe somewhere and, and see if he can just shirk his responsibilities. It's what I expected from Dalton. Chrysalis, like when a butterfly changes from in a cocoon. What? Oh, you know, Liz. He's uh, he's an oh, expatriate. Chris Liz. Yeah, Chrysalis. Yeah. I thought you said chrysalis, like the process by which a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. I didn't know if there was a, mar- a black market for cocoons or something. Look, I'll talk butterfly effect with you. But that's all I know about butterflies. But uh, the great thing about Chris Liss is you can make fun of him by just adding lists to anything. You know, you can say clueless or hopeless or, you know, stuff like that. Chris doesn't like that stuff. But uh, great man, um, former colleague at Rotowire. He does a podcast with Dalton, which I, you know, probably the second or third best fantasy podcast after this one. Very good. Well, it, instead of talking butterfly effect, let's talk ripple effect because – Jimmy G is expected to be out. There's fears that he tore his ACL. It doesn't look good. And obviously, that means a lot of grimness for fantasy owners in addition to fans of the team playing in Santa Clara. Matt? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge blow to this entire offense. And it's funny, at halftime going to, in this game, it seemed like they were going to lose Matt Breida for mm. to a serious injury Brita actually got back but then Jimmy Garoppolo goes down it's like I wonder if they would have taken that one back nothing you can really do about it and yeah this is a, this is a huge blow to this offense um you know Mar- Marquise Goodwin just got back George Kittle had a five catches over 70 yards today but all of this kind of goes in the tank with CJ Beathard behind the center I thought that Beathard was kind of a nightmare last year uh checked down a lot to running backs Carlos Hyde had like the most pass usage pass usage he's ever had but I I think this is a big problem uh for for this offense obviously and and a huge blow to a lot of the players that we liked in the in the unit Scott do you think George Kittle might still have legs with his former Iowa teammate under center I mean they certainly didn't show a lot of rapport last year Uh, remember you know for all the love that we give Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he pounded the table for Joe Williams, who I don't think is on the team anymore. He pounded the table for Beathard. So he can be as wrong as any of us can be. 
But this offense was such a mess last year. And, you know, I know the playmakers generally aren't that great. I mean, Kittle was a rookie tight end, so you couldn't expect the world. Obviously, Beathard was a rookie, too. I used to fool around with something called PBI, which is the it, – it's a totally unscientific number. I used to call it the P&L backup index. And what that would be is a percentage of an offense's efficiency when the backup would play. Just a total number I would back of envelope make up when there'd be an injury like this. So I'm thinking PBI for the 49ers when they switched to Beathard – 75% maybe the offense will keep about 75% efficiency. What do you guys think of that? Uh, I feel like that's generous, man. I, I don't know. I mean, this well, it's fair to say that, that this offense was not humming at maximum efficiency anyways this year. So I guess in that sense, uh, maybe you're getting 75% of what we have seen so far from the 49ers, but I think we'll be way off that path of what we were expecting coming into this unit or especially what we saw at the end of 2017. Uh, yeah, I just don't have a lot of faith in Beathard. I thought he was one of the worst starting quarterbacks last year. So I think it's actually, I think it's worse than that, but I guess I can see where you're coming from. It still, it still has a decent amount of um, playmakers and I do have faith in Kyle Shan as a, as a play caller, even though he does have warts as a personnel evaluator, as you mentioned. What about backups for those who perhaps had rostered Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, Andy Dalton, <laughs> yes, the ginger fist. Uh, that seems like um, a refreshed offense, although with A.J. Green potentially hurt, there's obviously some some warts there, but he's at Atlanta in week four. Joe Flacco is exploiting the talents of your favorite receiver, John Brown, Matt Harmon, on the regular. He's at Pittsburgh in week four. So those are streaming options. But I guess the big story, obviously, is that who cares about those other AFC North quarterbacks when Baker Mayfield is available in 88 percent of Yahoo leagues? Scott, what are you doing here? How are you evaluating? Well, the best news, if you own Garoppolo, look, don't be want to see him get hurt, obviously, but at least quarterback is the the position with the highest replacement level uh, you can get back. So, I mean, it's, it's the one position that you should never really be stuck at. I think Dalton would be the play here for me for a couple different reasons. Green and, and athletes generally never overestimate how serious their injuries are, but you know, Green sounded like maybe he could play next week. The Falcons, you know, we've seen the personnel they've lost on defense. They played a couple of shootouts the last two weeks. Seems like they got their offense humming and, just as their defense started to fall apart, I mean, obviously what a historical game they played with the Saints today. So I'd want Andy Dalton with a piece of that Falcons defense on the other side, even if Green didn't play. You know, there's a lot of playmakers in that offense. I mean, they didn't have Mixon today, but they still were a reasonable show up at Carolina. So Dalton would be my first choice. And then Mayfield's interesting to me. I think he's going to run some. And Cleveland, look, Hugh Jackson's still you know, a mess of a coach, and there's some other issues on this team. But t lack, lack of talent is not a problem with the Browns. They have a ton of defensive talent. And on offense, you know, Jarvis Landry looks like a player. He's running a lot more downfield than he did in Miami, and Matt can speak to that better than I could. I, I still think Njoku has a lot of upside. I mean, there are people I want to play on the Cleveland Browns. I just didn't want to play them when Tyrod Taylor was playing. But uh, you know, Mayfield did get a perfect storm Thursday. You know, the Jets had no tape on him. They weren't prepared for him. And he you know, came out and slung it all over the field. It's not going to be that easy every week, obviously, although the Jets may have a good defense. But maybe it's just part of the upside of the unknown and speaking to how much I respect Cleveland's uh, other offensive pieces. It would be Dalton for me first, especially with that Atlanta matchup. I, I like to play microscope, not telescope. I'm not going to look at the schedule five, six weeks from now because just you know, players get hurt, things change. But I want Dalton against Atlanta next week. Mayfield would be my second option on this list. You know what's interesting about Mayfield and that Browns offense is like to me, Scott, you, you know, I don't know if you disagree, but I thought that 
watching this team with Terod Taylor, and I've been a Taylor fan for a long time, but I mean, I, you could, I could even admit that it was obviously time to make that change. It looked like to me that even with Taylor behind center, that looked like they were running an offense that was fit for Baker Mayfield, you know, spread concepts, a lot of receivers on the field at once, really making, asking the quarterback to make timing precision throws. And that's just not really Taylor's game. So I'm really high on Mayfield getting in this offense right now, especially with the matchup against the Raiders in week four and a couple other low end streamers I'd mentioned too for week four specifically. I know this is gross, but Mitch Trubisky who hasn't shown much, he does get a Buccaneers defense in week four at home in Chicago. Um, If the Buccaneers turn around too, right. Right. Yeah. And if the Buccaneers continue to push the ball down the field on offense, that'll make the Bears hopefully have to take the air a little bit. It's a, it's a thinner play. And Eli Manning was kind of sneaky awesome this week. I know that's strange to say, but uh, he gets the Saints in week four in New York as well in a game that could be reasonably high scoring. I mean, I just looking was looking at uh, Manning's statistics earlier today. He was unbelievably efficient uh, after after such a nightmare game against Dallas in week three. Or week two, excuse me. So I would say for me, rest of season, most upside belongs to Baker Mayfield. If he's not available, then I think you are streaming and I appreciate the other options. I'm not as confident about A.J. Green, perhaps returning, yes, but this is a groin injury. And man, I saw Stefan Diggs completely ineffective, though, on the field with a groin injury last season. And that just seems to be one of those injuries that particularly affects wide receivers for... um like a long amount of time. Well, if JJ Green sees the tape on this Falcons defense, he's going to play through any injury. I mean, he's just going to want a piece of it. But like, let me get out there for that. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged with. It seems like the Bengals are just going to draft as many players named Tyler as they can. You know, Tyler Boyd has looked good for yes. two straight weeks, and, and Tyler Eifert we know can play football. It's just a matter of how long he's going to play it. Him and Jordan Reed are the guys that, as long as they're in uniform, play them. And then when the injuries come, we'll have to deal with it. Um, hasn't been as much fun for Tyler Croft, but um, maybe the uh, the Tyler. The Tippecanoe and Tyler 2 offense can get it going. That's it. We're going to call it the Tyler, hashtag Tyler effect. And you are right in terms of Atlanta having deficiencies in the middle of their defense. So that could work out well for the the tight end position. Um, I also want to talk about the Chiefs offense because it looks like it ranks among some of the best in recent memory you know that things are nuts when you're disappointed that, the, <laughs> that they only scored 38 to 3 points in the second half. Yeah, yeah, no, this offense to me is one of the best I've seen fantasy-wise. I mean, up there with the Denver Broncos under Peyton Manning during his time there with you, when you had Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas and was that tight? Julius Thomas? No, Sean like, Moreno was the running back. Right, yeah, freaking no Sean Thomas Moreno. Was the other tight end. They had another, Julius Thomas was the tight end. And it was basically like, who won your fantasy league that year? Well, who had the most Broncos? Uh, this year, I think we're going to see something similar with the Chiefs. The only one who people are still disappointed by Kareem Hunt, which is amazing. He had two touchdowns today. The only worry that I have about Kareem Hunt is obviously he had 18 carries, which is great. And you want to continue to keep yourself holding on to a, a running back who's attached to a great offense like this. Uh, the trouble is he caught no passes once again today. He's really had no passing game work, which I guess you can expect with a, a guy who is inclined to run a little bit in Patrick Mahomes. We've seen that be something that's a relationship where running quarterbacks typically don't throw to the ball to these ancillary pass catching backs. Yeah, but it also opens up holes, so then you make yeah. up for it on the rushing end. Definitely. And I just think just with his ability to push the football down the field, we're not seeing a lot of work in the pass game. But other than that, I mean, you're pretty much locked in with whoever you want in this offense. Two things I want to say, although I love all the major pieces in this offense. I mean, I don't know what negative you could possibly say about Mahomes at this point. 
and all of their major guys. I mean, Watkins was probably the one we were most concerned about before the season, and he's really played well the last couple of weeks and you know, done what you could reasonably expect. So he's not a problem. He's off the restricted list. You know, Kelsey's going to be fine. Hill's going to be fine. But two things I think are interesting is, one, Mahomes hasn't run the ball. They haven't been proactive with Mahomes as a runner, and it's, it's great. Look, you'd want your quarterback to stay in the pocket and look downfield and you know, maybe not have to run much or at all, and you know, maybe just have as a specialty play in the back of your pocket or you know, throw it on the tape every once in a while so the defense has to account to, for it. But it's interesting that Mahomes hasn't run much so far this year. They haven't had to. They've chosen not to. So maybe they're holding that back for later. One thing that makes me a little nervous, this is how they think they differ from that Bronco, that great Broncos team that Matt mentioned, the 2013 team, you know, the Thomas Thomas. I look at this box score, 11 guys drew targets today. Nobody had more than 10. I mean, we don't, not that anybody is ever going to complain about 10, but I would enjoy this offense so much more for fantasy purposes if we had a concentrated usage where it's like, okay, look, look at the Rams. They're like, okay, we have Gurley. We have three guys we throw to our receivers. We have uh, occasionally dash in a tight end, and that's it. Okay, but the Chiefs are throwing, you know, today Conley caught a touchdown. He, he just doesn't get enough work, though, to, to be a fantasy factor. Demetrius Harris scored a touchdown, and you know, good for Andy Reid. He's at the craps table calling out, you know, double fours and stuff at this point. Good for him. Use as many guys as you want. I just think, and I know it sounds kind of silly to complain about anything with the Chiefs, but, you know, you don't Tyree kill. You just get five targets today. You only had two catches. I mean, part of that, you know, he's going to be heard from. He could score three times next week, but... From a fantasy standpoint, the one kind of hole in the wall is just, I just would like to see them use fewer guys. And right now they have maybe the widest usage tree in the NFL. I do think I, I think that that's an excellent point. So do I. <laughs> well, I'm, gl- I'm, gl- <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad you made it. I think what makes Sammy Watkins particularly appealing, though, is that he is being used all over the field. Right. So that gives him many more opportunities. It's not like Travis Kelsey, who, yes, put up over 100 yards today and can outbody only, you know, a little not quite as well as Gronkowski, hence the baby Gronk nickname. But still to see the fact that Sammy Watkins is a chess piece for Andy Reid, I think bodes in his favor in a way that maybe maybe we didn't anticipate or, or were reluctant to admit. Well, also, you yeah, remember last year, I mean, one, he scored a bunch of touchdowns, albeit not on a lot of targets. And people would say, people who reviewed the tape would say, you know, Watkins was open. They had plays with Watkins. They just chose not to pull the trigger on him. He joined the Rams right before the season, the middle of August. Just not that much time to get acclimated to different system, different terminology. I mean, look at you know Josh Gordon, all the people disappointed he's not playing tonight the Sunday night game, New England at Detroit. I mean, he just joined the team. He just doesn't even know where the, you know where the team works out yet or where he's going to live. I mean, it just takes a while. So Watkins this year moves to Kansas City you know, months before the season, has time to get acclimated. They obviously made an investment in him. They signed him to an extension, which, you know, sometimes this stuff matters, sometimes that doesn't. But it, I think some people may have gotten burned by what Watkins did last year and not seen that, okay, well, he was thrown into the deep end of the pool and asked to swim for the Rams and maybe run a certain role that that wasn't that fantasy friendly. It's a much different setup in Kansas city. Well, being new to an offense isn't affecting Calvin Ridley drafted in the first round. I mean, he is breaking his breakout game came today built on the touchdown that he had in week two caught seven of eight for 146 and three scores. He's available in 57% of leagues right now. Matt, I'm going to ask you first, 
I kind of made the analogy that if Julio Jones is Justin Bieber, then Calvin Ridley is Sean Mendez. Do you think that he's going to benefit or who do you think? Let me rephrase that. Who do you think is going to benefit more Julio or Ridley? I would imagine with defenses putting a lot of pressure on Julio Ridley, as we've seen, especially in the red area of the field, is going to have more opportunities. But I've heard the argument that perhaps this opened things up for Julio. Yeah, I typically don't ever think like, oh, this guy is going to bring this defensive attention this way. And like that. So it's like it targets are all that really matter. So for me, the fact that someone else is out there that is going to command volume and I think Ridley is going to command it because he's really good I think that's generally like not a great thing for Julio Jones even though I mean he has so much opportunity going his way you know coming to this game was leading the NFL in percentage of air yards and percentage of targets going his way in the Atlanta Falcons offense so I'm not like saying I'm worried about Julio but this emergence by Calvin Ridley is very interesting. Led the team in targets today, obviously smashed in terms of touchdowns, catches, yards. He was a guy who didn't even catch a pass in week one. It was looking like he's like not even going to be involved as a routine number three receiver. But he is, to me, like the perfect complement. I mean, if you want to, like, he's this guy and this guy, I think you don't have to go too far back in Atlanta Falcons history and think he's like their Roddy White. You know, he's a a route runner, a separation type guy, you know, not the most flashy athletically. You know, he actually... Ridley shanked the NFL scouting combine Uh, other than his 40 he had poor jumps whatever but he's a technician he's a really good route runner he was that type of guy in college and I think being able to work off number two cornerbacks you saw today uh, was getting covered by like PJ Williams and uh, Ken Crawley who led up three scores coming into week three so to me this is just a great spot for Calvin Ridley if he's going to continue to get regular playing time and regular volume he's definitely someone you're going to want to throw out there because Scott mentioned the Atlanta Falcons defense is not good. Uh, They're going to be in a lot of high scoring games and this offense does seem like it's clicking. So yeah, I think Ridley is probably a guy that got dropped a lot after his week one game, but you can roll out and pick him up now. And not only is this offense clicking, okay, but the first game of the year, Philadelphia, Sarkeesian, you know, couldn't get out of his own way, the offensive coordinator. Two weeks since then, they've been a scoring machine. They they get in the red zone, they're punching it in, and it's been all Matt Ryan, all the passing game. I know Ryan had those two fluky touchdowns rushing last week. But Tevin Coleman got a chance to start the last two weeks with no Freeman, and he did not score any touchdowns. They have broken the code, and it's been through the passing game. So as Matt said, defense stinks. Okay, now we look at the running game. It's not really going. Look, Freeman will bring in different things that they can do when he comes back, and maybe he'll get into the red zone fun. But maybe this offense has discovered its identity is it has to score passing the ball and maybe not necessarily to Julio Jones. I apologize. I was asked a ton of Calvin Ridley questions. I don't think I get any of them right yeah. because the answer would have been Ridley. And I was constantly saying the other guy. And uh, man, does that look really bad? As Again, as Matt mentioned, you know, the, the matchups are great. Lattimore's on the other side of the field. Ridley had better guys to work on and, and, you know, totally smashed it. One of the big breakout stars of the day. But with this defense being where it is, with the running game still kind of a question mark, I, I expected more from Coleman than 15 for 33 today. And he didn't, again, didn't score the last two weeks with Freeman out. You would have thought that was a great opportunity for him. Uh, you know, all arrows are pointing to Ridley. I generally are very careful with rookie receivers and I'm usually last to a lot of guys and I don't have any Ridley, you know, so I'm going to be doing the walk of shame on this one. He looks like a great play going forward. Just also the Falcon schedule real quick upcoming Bengals at Steelers, Bucks, Giants by at Washington, at Cleveland, Dallas in Atlanta, and then at New Orleans again. I mean, those are all games that 
none of them are great defenses and definitely several offenses in there that could lead to some shootout game scripts. It's, so it's funny. This game had 80 points in it. And one of the first things I did was look at the upcoming schedules because I, you know, I'm like, when do these teams play again? And, you know, when the division as, as it is with Tampa Bay in there and Carolina with Cam Newton, there's going to be, this is, I think the big carnival, the big arcade of, uh, of 2018 football. I mean, everybody's scoring points, but I think this is the division to be in. Unfortunately, the Saints don't have a great upcoming schedule, but the Falcons do. They have all the teams you want to play. Uh, This is um, going to be, the Falcons are going to be one of those teams, like if if you have like a setup in a bar or set up at your house where you have like only room for two or three or four games, you want the Falcons on a dedicated TV. You mentioned the Saints, right? And I feel like they've not been able to rush the ball effectively. Alvin Kamara hasn't cleared. I think 66 rushing yards was the highest total rushing he's had all season. And that came today. He's obviously making up for it via the air. But Mike Gillespie has been an absolute bust. And I really feel like the Saints squad is missing Mark Ingram. He's back next week. Scott, do you think that impacts Kamara in a negative, positive, or absolutely neutral way? Well, I mean, 31 touches for Kamara, that, that's out the window. They can't do that. It's interesting that they don't mind Drew Brees as the occasional goal line back. He scores two rushing touchdowns today and caps the game off with that that little leap and you know extend the ball play. I, I always get nervous when anybody does that. It just seems like a play where you're asking for a turnover to get hurt. But um, they run it out sometimes. Brees is pretty good at it. You would think Kamara would become their thumper, their short yardage guy, and they can go back. I'm sorry, um, Ingram would be that guy, and then Kamara could go back to, you know, five or eight rushes a game, then more of it in the receiving game. He's so dynamic, Kamara, that I, I don't think he needs that. I think as long as he's getting double-digit touches every week, I'm excited about him. He's a top-five back for me. He's in play for DFS. Uh, man, 15 catches today on 20 targets. Has any running back ever had 20 targets before? I Maybe McCaffrey has at some point, but... That's just a crazy number to see for anybody, let alone a running back. But I think Kamara is going to be fine. It's Ingram is going to be, I think, touchdown dependent. I think the days of this being a one and one a backfield are gone. I think it's the Kamara show. And then if you're an Ingram owner, you're going to hope to get the scraps at the goal line. And they've run mostly spread, you know, kind of Saints of old stuff, especially the first two games. One, you know, against the Buccaneers in week one and then in the, against the Falcons this week, they've been in heavy shootout game scripts. So you're seeing Kamara catch a bunch of passes. You're not seeing him necessarily be all that involved in a runner. I do. It's a good question, Liz, because like, are they going to go back to the more the identity that we saw in 2017? Um, and then we saw this year, obviously, so far and most normal Saints years. I don't know if they have the defense for it. That's the that's the question. I mean, they missed him last week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I for think sure. they'd like to play keep away in some of these matchups. Like, I, I don't know if chase they... the game the last three weeks. I mean, the Giants Redskins, I would think maybe New Orleans could play from elite for once. We'll see. I don't know. I it's... just have to imagine they'd want to play keep away sometimes. Like if they had kept the ball away from Matt Ryan, knowing that the knowing the weapons that he has at his disposal, maybe that would have changed things. I, again, we're going to see. I absolutely, after watching last week's tape, think that they miss him. And I would be happy to have Mark Ingram. I don't have any shares of him, but I think he's going to work out. Just Are we fine. confident saying that the New Orleans defense stinks? Are we there or do we need more proof? I think it stinks enough. Yeah. Stinks <laughs> enough. I'll go yeah. with that. I also want to, because I think, Scott, when you brought up the narrow usage trees, that's what's going on here in the for the Saints, right? Well, like, they, they threw the touchdowns to guys we didn't, we didn't want to catch touchdowns. I don't want Zach Line to get another target all season. Um, Cameron, Cameron Meredith could be a player for them down the line, but today one target is a touchdown. He was unplayable. You know, Ted but gets 30, one of those guys. 30 of the team's 49 targets came between two guys. And if we change right, right, the volume, sure, sure. then... Yeah, Thomas just set a record for most catches over three weeks. Um, it's interesting because one of the reasons I avoided Thomas before the season, boy, does that sound stupid. 
is I thought, well, I don't think Carolina, Carolina, I don't think New Orleans is one of those teams that steers touchdowns to guys. I think they want the ball boy to score five times. And, you know, it's, you see part of that today where the three touchdowns don't go where we want. But when Thomas has 38 catches through three weeks, again, an NFL record, I mean, and he, he was getting in the end zone plenty before today. I'm taking the L on Thomas. I mean, you could, if you were redrafting, I think you could take him as the top receiver if you wanted to. I mean, he'd be in the top three. And uh, I have very low exposure to him. So you win, Mike. You can't guard Mike is a great Twitter handle because right now you cannot guard Michael Thomas. <laughs> Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas accounted for 62% of all of the Saints catches and rush attempts in this game. That includes a couple of rush attempts from their quarterbacks as well. So, yeah, as, as Liz mentioned, I mean, this is one of the most concentrated offenses in the NFL, despite a couple of, you know, goofballs picking up some touchdowns today. You guys, what kind of voodoo do you think Sean McDermott is playing with? What what is going on in Orchard <laughs> Park? I mean, is it this is so Billsian, if that's even a thing. Like when we think we know what's going on in Buffalo in in western New York, I suppose. York, that's a yeah. part of the state it's in. Um I've never been. I apologize. Your accents are similar to mine. You seem like lovely people, mafias. I thought you were always up there tailgates doing all the crazy tailgate oh, yeah. things they do. That's, that's a little special. Jumping off of <laughs> jumping off of card tables in the freezing snow. But this is like I feel like what we saw last year, right? Like right when you counted the bills out, they were able to respond in really positive ways. I mean, Vontae Davis retires in the middle of a game, and then this defense shuts out Kirk Cousins, who went bananas in week two. Uh, we all called it, right? Like, Josh Allen is sitting somewhere on my fishbowl bench with all of the points. He's he's leaping over defenders. Matt, help me. Are we living in the upside down? What's going on? I mean, this was by far the most unexpected uh, result. I've been helping my friend Sam in his Survivor League. And I, I mean, for some reason, he keeps texting me about this after I gave him the Lions in week one. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I mean, dude, you got to go with the Vikings this week. I mean, let's just keep playing it safe. Let's not mess around. They get, get smacked 27-6. And it wasn't even like like it wasn't even competitive in the first half. I, I, I'll tell you what, I have a lot more. I had a lot more respect for Mike Zimmer um, and his and his approach but this was rough i mean you could clearly see that they did not take this bills team seriously maybe they trap. looked past him uh, yeah a trap game i mean which is silly coming off of a tie but the biggest takeaway for me in this game was on the viking side they really had a tough time pass protecting and you know it's not like the bills are some great pass rushing team they have some guys up front but nothing that you're like really afraid of you know oh, by the way they get the rams uh, on Thursday night in week four. So that should be fun. Do the Vikings and Kirk Cousins his uh, he only averaged, uh, I think, f under six yards per attempt. Uh, his completions traveled just an average of three yards. So, yeah, it, to me, this is a rough spot for a team that can't pass protect real well. Obviously, they're missing uh, Dalvin Cook today, but that doesn't really matter when you get behind that much. So pretty nightmarish situation. And on the Buffalo side, too, like credit to Josh Allen, like this was just Josh Allen making Willing, things happen yes. yeah yeah like clearly giving this offense more life I mean it's not like anybody emerged from this as like a must play because the volume was still super spread out nobody had more than five targets and that was of course uh, Kelvin Benjamin soaking up those five targets then you know Chris Ivory has 20 carries takes him for 56 yards and what is a croom you're the receiver specialist I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about Jason Kroom. <laughs> like there are some good dudes that just pop up every now and again. I'm like, I've never heard of this person. Hey, he's a tight end. So like, give me a break. I don't know about tight ends. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, but on the other side of things, I mean, Scott, again, I'm, I'm, I'm following this concentrated volume theory. Al, Adam Thielen may not have scored, but still 19 targets over 100 yards. That is Kirk Cousins' favorite receiver, win or lose. If you have him, you are starting him, no questions asked. Yeah, I mean, he got out of the out of the game with a nice line. It, it, it wasn't pretty. We got the garbage but... time so quickly. And Buffalo, this, it's funny, my, my Viking friends, you know, half hour into this game, they're like, oh my God, we've lost. This this game, we're, no, when they got down, you know, 10 or 17 points, every Minnesota fan I know, and I think they're a very level-headed, rational fan base, is like, we, we're not winning today. Offensive line looks awful. Um, and, you know, today it was all about the pass blocking because they really gave up on the running game. They only ran the ball six times. Uh, I think only four of them were design runs. So, you know, they got behind and decided to chase the game through the air. But the, I think the first two possessions were a strip sack and an interception. So, it, you know, it's not like, you know, Buffalo teed off when the game got lopsided. They made it lopsided. And, you know, Cousins was shell-shocked in the first half. And this makes me... Very bearish on Dalvin Cook when he comes back because I don't see where the holes are going to be. I think they're going to have to throw the ball. When offensive lines can't be trusted, it usually turns into you have to mask it in pass blocking because it's easier to do that. You you can have guys chip. You can run different routes. When you can't run block, there's just nowhere to hide, and it screws up your running backs. So Dalvin Cook is somebody I'm you – know, obviously, you know, he's, he's dinged up right now. And I think they were thinking, okay, Rams on Thursday. Let's just get through Buffalo and, and get maybe have Dalvin Cook ready for week four. And it just certainly, you know, some people think sandwich games, like ahead games, is a myth. But when you consider that the Rams, who may be the NFC favorite right now, are into this week with the co-favorites with the Vikings, probably in that neighborhood, it, it makes sense that you, you're playing the presumed worst team in football, and then you have the Rams on Thursday. I could see why a team maybe just wouldn't have their focus. And one of the themes of today, to me, is that, you know, the everybody get, gets paid games. You know, people think, oh, how can Arizona possibly – you know, give Chicago a game. I know Arizona lost that game, but I mean, they were in control of it for much of the game. And then Sam Bradford made sure that they wouldn't win. But, um, you know, Arizona did at least show up and the defense played pretty well. And, you know, Buffalo, they get paid too. You know, the difference, this isn't like college where when, when Alabama plays the worst team in their conference, they're just going to win by 40. I mean, we can write that in. The NFL isn't like that. The difference between the best team and the worst team isn't that great. And upsets, albeit a 17-point underdog winning is unusual, especially this dominant. I mean, it goes back like a decade or so, but or maybe 15 years. But it's not that unusual. Almost every survivor pool I've seen is ripped the smithereens right now because we've seen so many upsets in the last three weeks. And that speaks to how the difference between the top and the bottom of the NFL, I think, is more concentrated than ever. I also think this may be a problem culturally with the Vikings because we saw them play their Super Bowl in the postseason and not be able to put it together when it came to getting to the actual Super Bowl. So I'm wondering if they extended themselves in the division matchup, like you're saying, but now they have to come home and the Rams didn't travel. Even though it was a crosstown classic, if you will, which I think gives the Rams a distinct advantage on Thursday night. So they are the Rams are down some defenders. Marcus Peters obviously went out. No, Keeb Tlaib was banged up. So on a short week, we don't know what's going to happen there. But in terms of the O line versus the pass rush that Los Angeles has, I think we're in trouble, and we're going to have to. I'm going to downgrade a lot of my Vikings heading into Week Four. I definitely like home teams in those Thursday games. I think that's a major advantage, just not having to tra- travel the extra day. I'll tell you what, if I walked into a casino right now, whatever Sean McVay is doing, I would just bet on that. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you put money in a slot machine, I'd put money in a slot machine too, which I normally would never do. You know, he wants to bet on 12, I'd bet on 12. That guy is just hotter than can be, as can be right now. And, you know, Jared Goff maybe is better than I wanted to think. I thought last year was a lot of it was system for the Rams. Now I'm thinking maybe Goff's a little better than I think. And I, 
maybe their receiving group is a little bit better. And again, we talked about it earlier, they're only really focusing on four guys. So that's become an offense that, and I have one team that has Woods and Cup on it. I've been playing Cup most of the time, but I think I'm going to start, if I can't make a trade, which been stif- it's been difficult to do, I might just start rolling both those guys out. I know you offered me that trade. I uh, slept on, I thought I answered the text and I didn't actually answer the text. So now maybe you hit me up after the show. We'll talk later. Anyway, people talking to us, we have Twitter users adding us. Let's answer these quickly. Matt, I'm going to start with you at Webb's Inferno. What do I do with Andrew Luck? Interesting that his Twitter name includes fire because... uh, (laughs) Not seeing a lot of fireworks out of this Indianapolis offense. Once again, we saw... Andrew Luck really operate a short area passing game. Um, I believe he had 4.1 yards per attempt in this contest, really still. And then get pulled when you needed to make the deep throw. I mean, I tweeted about that and I had some Colts fans chirping back at me like, well, it's a 1% probability. Why would they want to waste his shoulder on that? I'm like, well, the fact you even have to ask that question is it's something to talk about. It's a tell. Yeah. I mean, threw a perfect jump ball, by the way. He actually threw a perfect kill, Mary. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it it was just one thing, but I think it would, it would be nothing to talk about if it was like an isolated incident. But the fact that we've seen Luck operate this really constricted short area passing offense this entire uh, season so far really says something to that. So I think that's just the way the Colts are right now. And it's probably good coaching, to be honest with you. Like there's no way that they should have Luck dropping back there, holding the ball for four seconds and getting drilled, trying to work downfield. So I think it's a good coaching decision by Frank Reich, who I have a lot of expect a a lot of respect for this defense is still playing well. So they're not going to necessarily be in a bunch of shootouts. I mean, freaking Marcus Hunt, man, is like the most improved defense defensive player in the NFL. I've seen but he, by the way, he's like sneaky old, like 31 years old. He was a 2013 draft pick came into the league very uh very young or he's very Estonian old and very yeah, too, very right? raw, yeah. right, right. But like he's been the most improved player I've seen this year so far and just with the fact that this defense is good, pretty good Luck's not necessarily just recklessly pushing the ball downfield. I think you just have to adjust expectations for Andrew Luck and that probably makes him a streaming level quarterback that you're playing matchup by matchup, like not really rolling him out there in a road game in Philadelphia. Rest of season, Scott, would you rather have Baker Mayfield or Andrew Luck? I'd have to go with Luck. It's because I like Reich. Um, I know Hilton didn't have a great game today, but Hilton scored two short touchdowns in the previous two weeks. And that was a knock on Hilton is that you needed long touchdowns. They didn't always pepper him with targets. And Frank Reich said, okay, we're going to scheme a short yardage. We're going to run a play that's a T.Y. Hilton touchdown where all the other route combinations are run so T.Y. Hilton gets open on a drag route. This is what a previous Indianapolis coaching staff wouldn't do. The problem is you need luck to be healthy for everything to really click. And it didn't look like it today. You know, luck, Carson Wentz, I mean, luck hadn't played in a full season. Wentz was off a 10-month, I think, hiatus before today. I saw one person who I like a lot on Twitter uh, say, well, you have to play Wentz because of where you drafted him. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. You yeah. play the best guy. <laughs> yeah, right. If I had Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would have played yeah, over right. Wentz. <laughs> easy to say it now, but I mean, the point is, you know, quarterback play, passing game play, it takes timing. Like, I'm not going to roll out Alshon Jeffrey if I owned him, which I don't, but I wouldn't play him the first week he comes back. I want to see him. How many snaps does he get? Is he looking tune with Wentz yet? That type of thing. I think both these offenses are going to be in, I think Philly will be in very good position and Indianapolis will be in good position, maybe three or four weeks down the road, but it's going to take a while to get there. I, I do think though, Indianapolis made a great hire with Reich. They went very convincingly last week at Washington. They could have beaten Cincinnati. And then today, you know, this game was a, was a back and forth game and Philadelphia is an excellent team and a super defense. Luck didn't have his best day, of course, but I think the Colts are going to be like an eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven type of team because I really have a ton of respect for Frank Reich. 
Scott, are you buying Mike Williams right now? Three touchdowns in the last two weeks. Looks like Rivers' top red zone target. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Hunter Henry going down, I know Gates had a couple of splashy plays today, but you know, he, he's the old, he's the kid in the snowsuit. He just can't move laterally at all. <laughs> um, they need a size receiver. You know, Williams was a first round pick. At least he was in the facility last year, albeit he was hurt, so he could pick up some of the stuff mentally, even if he couldn't go through it physically. Uh, he certainly looks like the most likely player to lead this team in touchdown catches. That's a big statement to make when you have Keenan Allen on the team. But it just seems like the, diff- the combination of size and speed, ability to high point the ball, we saw a lot of that at Clemson. He can run deep routes too. Uh, I don't have a lot of Mike Williams. I wish I did. But I think he's going to be one of the right answers this season. I still feel like I'm not totally buying into Mike Williams because I think – the way he's going to score points, which is not just touchdowns, but also he's a deep threat to 16.7 air yards per target today. I think you're going to be relying on a lot of hit. I just expect him to be volatility is, is my, to be volatile is my point. I thought he would have a slower game today. Obviously, Marcus Peters, he scored a touchdown on him. But and why then are you goes putting down. Marcus Peters on Mike Williams? I get that Marcus Peters is all finesse. But if you look like at that size difference, that seems like such a mismatch to me. Yeah, I guess these guys mostly have just been lining up on one side of the field and not tracking these and that's a good thing about the Chargers receivers is that they have enough versatility to move these guys around Um, especially Keenan Allen who can play all three positions uh, that there's enough versatility there and I mean that's just for I guess if you're looking at it from Wade Phillips' perspective, and I've talked to one of their cornerbacks a lot, so I who would that be? Nickel Roby Coleman. They're wor- the worst of the bunch. You buddies, you, you, you text. <laughs> we've 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 spoken before, and and I th- one thing he was telling me is that like Wade Phillips really just has you do what you do best, and just do that over and over and over again, and like it's something that we think is very common and it's smart for NFL coaches. But as he was telling me, it's like just a lot of people just don't do it that way. They That's try the to, Belichick thing too. Yeah, they it's try not to about fit what you, you can't do. It's what about what you can do exactly and so i think what wade is doing with these guys is being like hey marcus you're a good on the right side of the field or the left side of the field just go do that over and over again and to you're better on that left side just keep playing that so i think that's the reason for that it was probably a longer answer than you were looking forward to that question no <laughs> i mean i was when I, I watched that game pretty closely and i was stunned when i saw that as the matchup because i figured I'm, listen son of a bum knows a lot more than i do i am not testing i just would have imagined there'd be some moving around and also was to your earlier point relieved that Mike Williams had that versatility because I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, he's he's played much better than I expected this year. You know, he was my player to fade on Fantasy Football Live this morning. Uh, that didn't look so good after he scored two touchdowns. Luckily, John Brown, the player I said to play, at least he got 86 yards out of the day. But yeah, it, I th- I've been impressed with Williams so far, for sure. No doubt about it. Uh, Scott, are you impressed with Kenyon Drake? Are you as crazy about him as Brad Evans was at the top of the season? I mean, today, seven touches, 10 yards in a great matchup, at least on paper. But then old man Frank Gore, the Rumpelstiltskin of running backs, six carries for 12 yards. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to make it a hate and hype society, but we learned on Seinfeld that it has to be either love the Drake or hate the Drake. And <laughs> the problem is maybe Miami hates the Drake. He hasn't gotten a lot of usage and Miami's off to a 3-0 and start. And they've had the lead in a lot of those games. And then none of those games have ever gotten out of hand where maybe Drake's skills, you know, they, they had the type of game script you would want from a quote unquote feature back and he's not getting featured. So I guess Gore is just going to be around and nobody did anything really special today. I mean, six for 12 for Gore on the ground. Drake was five of three, uh, five carries, three yards, which is, of course, terrible. But, you know, you want somebody to get more opportunity than that. But the way they've used Drake, it, it speaks to how they either feel he is or maybe it's a statement on their offensive line or how they feel they have to play. 
we're three games into the season, and Miami has had games running. You, you see what an offense feels like it can do when it's ahead, and Drake's not getting. I mean, look I, at this point. I'd be I start hugging strangers if he get ten to thirteen touches a week. <laughs> That's how bad it's gotten. So I thought saw him about I don't know top twenty back, top eighteen back, top twenty two back before the season. I think we got to push back. I think he'd probably be outside of my top thirty for next week. I would just note that in this game, the Dolphins only ran 39 plays, which that's what that's what's going to happen then to lead like to your your top rushers to get six carries for Frank Gore, five carries for uh, for Kenyon Drake. And the reason they only ran 39 plays is freaking Albert Wilson, superstar himself. Bird alert. Bird alert. Bird alert. Woo, woo, woo. Anyways, uh, Bird alert uh, threw a 52 yard touchdown pass to Jakeem Grant and also. Uh, had a 74-yard touchdown reception himself. And so when you have your players ripping off big plays like that, you're not going to possess the ball very often, which, again, that 39 plays run. And Miami's always been a slow-paced team, so if they're going to make big plays like that, you're not going to have your top running back. And I still think Kenyon Drake, like it, I still think he's going to be the top running back on this team. Um, he did have 11 rushes in Week 2 and uh, 14 in Week 1. Oh, that's so hot. I oh know. I mean, goodness. no, no, no. Like that's, I'm not saying that that's great, but 15 touches and then 18 touches on those two, or excuse me, 17 touches in those two games. Like, that's decent to live off of, but you're going to, if your offense is going to have these type of games where they run 39 plays like that's going to crater that scoring for right, sure. you make a great point with the touchdowns were all flash scoring 18 34 50 uh 74 and 52 yards of course they're trying to kill oh my god they killed kenny they threw kenny stills on a deep route and for <laughs> some reason in miami that back wall is, is <laughs> right outside the end zone maybe the, the the dolphins had such a bad offense for years that it was never a problem or i don't i don't even know if it was even the same distance in recent years but I thought Stills wasn't going to get up after he caught that first touchdown. But I, I guess we have to see what they do when they get uh, down near the goal, which they weren't today. And also, they were behind into the fourth quarter. So even though they won this game comfortably, it wasn't like they were playing with a lead in the fourth quarter, which maybe that would speak to when Drake would play a lot. But he didn't play that much last week when they had the Jets game kind of in hand. I still think it, he's going to be a lot like Lamar Miller, where it, Miller was effective and solid in his Miami career, but we we're always kind of pining for what he could do with a little bit more usage. I think Drake will be a, a solid player eventually, but it's not going to be quite the usage that maybe we hope before the season. People drafted him based on a month's worth of production, which was bananas. But let's not spend any more time on a dude who's not getting the volume. I want to very, <laughs> I want to rapid fire get through three potential pickup options, starting with you, Scott. Geronimo Allison is owned in 34% of leagues. He has earned Aaron Rodgers' trust. He's the team's number three, scored again. I believe this was his second score over three weeks, and he's cleared over 60 yards in three consecutive games. Are you buying? Buying. Uh, I actually dropped Jamison Crowder to pick up Allison this Woo. week. Now, Crowder did score as well, but I think Allison's the number two target in this passing game, clearly behind Devontae Adams, who lives in the end zone, and what an improved player he is. But uh, and part of Aaron Rodgers' offense, that may not mean as much as it used to, because I don't know how Rodgers is doing it, not practicing and hobbling around a lot, but... Uh, yeah, number two target here. Uh, I'm in. Nice. Tyler Boyd, Matt, is the Bengals' number two receiver. It's not John Ross, but Boyd, who I think, um, I remember when he came out, I comped him to like a street fighter <laughs> uh, <laughs> players. Uh, I don't remember his name now, uh, but he's a, he's only owned in 15% of leagues, six for 132 plus a touch. He's getting the volume. If A.J. Green is compromised, 
I guess that helps his volume, though I'm worried about him against number one cornerbacks. What do you think? Yeah, 12 catches for 223 yards and two scores over the last two weeks. So he's doubling up good performances here. He's got the target volume that you want, the air yards volume that you want. And he's mostly a slot receiver, which is, is going to, even if A.J. Green was to miss time or whatever, he would still likely see more inferior coverage on the inside. So I like Tyler Boyd a lot. He does seem to be having a breakout season. What some people expected to be John Ross's workload has more so been Tyler Boyd's workload uh, is just a safe, reliable receiver that looks much better. He wasn't a player I really liked as a prospect because I expected him to get off to a slow start. And obviously, year three, we're finally mm-hmm. seeing something here. So, yeah, I think this is a real good spot for Boyd, who everybody should pick up. And Ross only has 27 yards receiving. Ross, has, uh, he had the first week touchdown. I know he's a different type of receiver than Boyd, but Dude, he's a Matt mess. said the Ross breakout hasn't been happening. He had he's one a, good play he, in the preseason and everyone been, went bananas. Yeah, he's a mess. I mean, well, just the fact that he's getting on the field and like getting some playing time is a nice sign after his first season. But yeah, he's had some real ugly moments this year, too. Speaking of ugly moments, Buck Allen, this whole situation is not pretty. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like if I don't know if I read, I mentioned Stranger Things earlier, but this is like if Steve dumped Nancy for Barb. But for fantasy purposes, I'm on hashtag team Barb. And that is all Buck Allen. Does that make sense? Think about it for a second. It's brilliant. He's available in 75% of leagues. He scored in three straight games, two touchdowns today. Like, it doesn't matter if if Alex Collins should be the guy. He's not the guy. I'm having a lot of mixed emotions here because I'm really confused as to like, I mean, poor Barb is dead. So like, yeah, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Stranger, Stranger Things, Barb is dead. I don't know who's dead in this running back situation that we're comparing to. But like, would she be dead? I'm going to ruin every Steve? ending to everything, Matt. Matt. That, Tell me every movie you haven't seen and I'm going to, I'm going to get Rosebud as a sled. Oh no, I can't. We can't get into that. This podcast will literally take three hours for you to just shame me on all the movies I haven't seen. But on on this on this running back situation, like I also love Liz to hear you say it doesn't matter who right. should be the guy. It doesn't matter who's good because everybody hates Buck Allen because they think he sucks. But the Ravens coaching staff clearly thinks he is a reliable pass catcher. He consistently runs a decent amount of routes. He had more goal line touches than Alex Collins last year. He continues to work. Uh, look, and I like Alex Collins, too. And he finally saw the game script that he kind of needed. He had, I think, 18 carries, three catches, scored a touchdown. Wasn't super efficient, but it doesn't really matter. He's also going to, in good game scripts, Alex Collins will get his too. But Buck Allen is is not going anywhere, and he certainly should be owned. He's kind of like... He's like basically like a bigger version of Theoretic, to be honest with you. Like he he's runs routes the same way, catches decent dump off passes, but he also has some goal line opportunity. Look, as much as I like Buck Allen in the short term, I think Alex Collins is an ideal buy low guy. I don't yeah, know if you I can buy agree. low after this 18 touch game, but as the Mercury drops, I guarantee he is going to start to emerge. Don't forget, this is a guy who didn't show up until week 10 or after week 10 of last season. Scott, what are your thoughts on Buck Allen in this Ravens backfield? And then and then I think we're gonna maybe leave yeah I you know I, I agree with Alex Collins I think he's a good buy low the thing with Buck Allen six carries eight yards and a touchdown against the Bengals today six carries seven yards a touchdown against the Broncos he's like that shaky baseball closer where he is like a five ERA but you know, he holds the three-run lead you know or the two-run lead and the team believes in him and so he keeps getting the thing is if you punch in that short touchdown you get you get the next short touchdown chance I know Collins did have what a five or six yard touchdown today so Maybe he'll get some of those, but they they've talked themselves into Buck Allen as being some kind of John Riggins goal line guy, some kind of snowplow, like Garrett Blunt type. And if they all, if they believe it, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. They believe it. He also had a, a receiving touchdown today, so you know Allen he'll he'll be with forty percent of this rush, rushing game, forty percent of this backfield. 
Uh, their, their run blocking graded very poorly on PFF metrics before week three. I'll be curious to see how it grades in this game. But I thought their offensive line would be a plus. It hasn't been. But because they believe in Buck Allen goal line back and Buck Allen receiving, you know, hurry up back, I, I think that share of the offense is, is going to stick. I, the reason why I say Collins I think is a good buy low is just because there aren't that many guys who get double-digit touches every week, and I think he'll be one of those guys. And eventually I think this offensive line will at least be around the average, if not maybe a little bit above average. I didn't know that Barb played baseball, but – Hey, we're all about the analogies in Baltimore. You know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, Matt. Did you know that? Oh, come on. I mean, I've seen like 10 movies ever and like 60% of them are Star Wars movies. Kaiser so say. <laughs> I have seen that one too. <laughs> all right, guys. We will save all that for the movies that Matt hasn't seen podcast coming up later maybe in another iteration um yeah it's our off-season podcast sure sure but there are plenty of other podcasts on the yahoo oh, sports podcasting he's reviewing now. like the, his 39th tv show of the of the season probably he watches more tv than alan seppenwall alan seppen nothing like a good alan seppenwall reference to close the show you can follow us on twitter at liz Loza underscore ff at scott underscore pianowski at matt Harmon underscore byb and of course follow yahoo fantasy at yahoo fantasy and go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast we out we out